0: G'day, guys. Welcome back to Dylan Friends. Wow, we this week on the pod talking to one of my genuinely all time favorite people, uh, players, Simon Black. Genuinely unbelievable. I was actually fully like nervous going into this show to give context and you know, I pretty much w- rambled on the whole time as well. This has actually been the first show I felt like a genuine nuffy talking to like one of my favorite players of all time and just beautiful people. They say don't meet your heroes well fuck me. Simon Black is genuinely the best bloke of all time and yeah so blessed to sit down with him and have a chat. I you know went growing up playing footy I grew up in Fitzroy and played for the Fitzroy Lions and we used to have the Fitzroy the Brisbane logo sorry on our chest and I wore the number twenty and from there just fell in love with him as a, as a player and my whole career I've had just always loved everything he does, the person he is. and. And everything about him so to sit down today was um was genuinely yeah pretty special to, to have a chat with him and just talk about his career and i think it's funny you know when you sit down and talk to people you have an idea of what they're going to be like but he was everything that i thought he was going to be like and and more and so cool had an awesome story so humble incredible person incredible player and and did some some really seriously awesome things on the field and i'm kind of talking about today obviously for those who don't know he's a bloody absolute star played with the brisbane lions three flags Brownlow medal coaching and, and leadership and and even spoke a lot about about his mindset and mental training that he did outside of the club, which I had absolutely no idea about, but wasn't wasn't surprised when I knew how hard this guy really, really worked to become the player he was. And it was so cool to hit, sit back and listen a bit to all the Brisbane teammates that he's gone on and even be coaches. And the, the names that he was saying I was like far out. There's just so many people from that era, the Brisbane Lions, that have gone on to do incredible things. Voss, you know, Nigel Lappin, the Scott brothers, Jonathan Brown, Chris Johnson, all those sort of guys, just doing awesome things. Akamannis. It was crazy so yeah to sit in and have a chat with him about all of that and then everything else going on in his life you've got the simon black academy is helping young people learn you know life skills and what's next for them whether it be the mental side of things or giving and receiving feedback doing awesome awesome stuff so make sure you please check that one out too if you want to get involved um with that the links will be in the show notes but yeah just absolutely blessed today to sit down with um one of my favorite players of all time and and have a chat with him but i hope you enjoy it i think i went full nuffy mode on this one but i hope the questions came off okay and it's uh somewhat listenable because i feel like i was just a blabbering mess but yeah love to love to chat with him hope you enjoy it hi fam it's dylan's mum,
1: deborah this is Dylan Friends. So like, you going to embarrass yourself? And I was like, bro, do you want me to do all seven verses? Bit arrogant, didn't know all <laughs> seven. I've been in a bad team for 10 years, and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them. I try to fix people sometimes, I'm like, Dan, stop doing that, just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog, it's easy. They
0: had no other way to get out of the cave, and we either turn our backs on them, in which case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. So I'm Blackwell from the show. <laughs> Thanks, still Great to be with you. Mate, this is an absolute honour. Honestly, it is... It really is an honour to have you in, on the podcast. I know we have been working at this one for a while, but it's uh, sitting up here at the Khalil in, in Brisbane, in your territory. I had to come all the way up here to, to get you on the show.
1: <laughs> oh, wow, mate. Thanks so much for coming up. Oh, we missed each other in Melbourne grand final week, didn't we? But no, it's a, it's a yeah, real privilege to have a chat to you, mate, and congrats on this raw and success of the podcast.
0: Thank you so much, and uh, congrats on everything you've done, mate. I think it's been incredible. For me, obviously, without getting too weird on you, I know we're in a hotel room, one out, and it's, it could get weird, but I'd say growing up, Posters of you on my wall were far in between of anything else, and I, I think for me, nostalgically, like you know, growing up, I played for Fitzroy. I grew up in Fitzroy, and we had that connection to the Brisbane Lions. I wore the number twenty, and yeah, seeing you know that was like where my love of footy was really born in that two thousand early two thousand period. So. Sit down today. It's is a bit of a dream come true, and um, really excited to just debunk it, mate, and have a chat with you about all your all your stories.
1: Oh, unreal! You're a Fitzroy man. That's, yeah, that's Fitzroy
0: boy. So we used to wear the the logo on our emblem, and I think I, we never got you coming down. But I feel like we had Justin Lepage come down one day, and I I forgot this when I played footy, and and I you know you don't care who they are, who comes down to your club, but you, you remember that stuff. Yeah, like from being a kid, you remember people sure. coming down and saying good day, and I think I wish I sort of remember that a bit more when I was playing because you can forget the impact that you have on people.
1: Yeah, can't you? Absolutely. I remember Chris Maywearing, I was a big West Coast fan growing up in Perth and he came to my primary school one day and he was my hero, him and Peter Matera, the two wingmen. And maybe we walked past my classroom window and I think we were doing some maths at the time. And I remember just running out (laughs) with pen and paper and, Mani, Mani, can you sign this for us? And that was it. I I wanted to be a footy player after that. It was yeah, It's amazing impact that those heroes can have at a young age, isn't
0: it? 100%. Now, before we get into the show, this is what's really interesting so I've had Sam Gash on the podcast before, Mark Wales on the podcast before had Nick Reweld on recently and I I must say I don't really watch a lot of TV, I don't watch Survivor but I never realised how big survivor was in terms of like this this stuff so you're on season four was it of survivor
1: yeah season four how
0: did this come about because nick rewald i know we're listening to this and this will be all he's listening for so i thought i'd ask you off the top <laughs> of there. it's crazy how much of a cult following it has have you found that
1: <laughs> yeah look i mean the the u.s version's been massive for such yeah. a long time and they revamped the australian one they had a crack early days in the early 2000s and didn't fly real well but the new version the last i guess six or seven years has been brilliant. Um, Jonathan Lapali does an outstanding job and the whole production does a, a great job. So it came through with me through my brother's wife, wife's side of the family. Um, there's a casting agent with Endermol Shine. So I remember watching season three and sitting on the couch with my wife and, and she said to me, would, would you would you do this if uh, if you asked? And I said, oh, I'd love to for sure. And then about six months later, I got asked, I'm like, oh. <laughs> right here we go and obviously i did and it was just the best experience it was unbelievable i mean to to live on an island without any technology for, for one was was such a such a gift to be able to just live in the shelter that you've built have to learn to survive off rations of rice and beans and fine coconuts and just swim in the ocean that's literally 15 meters away and and just that real simplistic and primitive way of life and then obviously throw the challenges and the gamesmanship on top of it it was it was unreal one of the very best things i've ever done and loved every minute of it
0: what did you love the most with the challenges like what what are some of the things that you probably wouldn't see because i think on the show when you watch it you think oh maybe they do get support is it true like you're actually just out there like doing your thing
1: yeah look i'm really protective of that in that regard because it is really authentic um you know for for the large part it really is you know that they want you to suffer i lost nine kilos um in that 42 days i was out there and I was hungry man I was starving hungry I remember getting you know, clearly you, you know, day five or six I had a bit of a mental, mental meltdown where I had to walk down the beach and thinking my god like how am I going to get to day 10 or 20 <laughs> let alone day 40 I'm starving and then you know I guess all that when all the you know the, the years of footy experience and the, the mental challenges you have with that that sort of starts to kick in and but your body and your mind learn to adapt. Um, I think what I found was that you, you lose weight real quick and then after about six or seven days, you start to plateau and, and lose it um, slowly, incrementally after that. But yeah, it was a real challenge. I, mean, look, I just I love the challenges part. When I got punted at day 42, I was most flat about about that. And it's funny how, so I was the seventh last out, so still a fair way off the, the winning post, that's for sure. But you see your way to the end. It's like mm. he's going to go, she's going to go, and he'll go then and – and here I am. And the next night I'm in Villa thing. oh, how did that happen?
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a game plan. Like, did you go in with a strategy? Did you go in with a bit of, like, mind or did you just go in as try and be yourself?
1: Yeah, look, I, I mean, I did. I, I the seen... alpha
0: males normally, like, sporting guys don't last long, do they? Because they are seen as a threat.
1: Yeah, look, come the merge, that's when the physical threats, they they go after them to try to get, get them out for sure. Look, I, I wanted to go in there and build general relationships and and do what I said I was going to do to a point early in the game to, to build those, that trust and that Integrity early on in the game, and that was a big part of it. I think that that's a, a pretty sound way early on, and you know it's a numbers game, right? If you if you can build a bit of trust early days, you, you get to the merge, and and that's when the real gamesmanship starts, and that's when the really great players come out and they're putting bits of fake information out there, or there like Luke Toki did to me and silly. Bugger may found it a couple of fake clues in the jungle, which I'm digging holes for 36 hours and just like got played beautifully. <laughs> but just an amazing experience, and I, I, I sort of look. I was a little bit flat in terms of. I guess my edits. I felt like I played the game strategically, but you probably didn't really know that watching the watching the season. And yeah, if I'd, I'd, I had my time again post the merge, I think you, you sort of really kind of step up that that element of that real hard gamesmanship, mm. like because you've, you've got at some point you've got to pull your trigger. It doesn't matter obviously how tight your alliance is, and and if you're in the numbers. Someone's gonna, um, and that's the art of it, you know, the timing around that. And if you get lose your middle stump, <laughs> yeah,
0: it gets very, it uh, brings anxiousness up already thinking about just it. like the conniving around each other and everything. In terms of the challenges, I used to love watching the challenges. Did you have any favourites or the hardest one you did? What was something that you you hated or loved?
1: The one I hated probably the most was they roll this car in this this car to win to win a car, and you had to stand. Abby Holmes won it. She she won it in the end. It was two poles it's about or half a metre apart, and these two poles that your feet were on were those rock climbing handles, and there was three of them. And the, after each half an hour, you had to step down to a yes. lower, thinner part, and it's just oh, just your feet, painful, just, just your, your feet, and when you're locked into, you know, to try to have a crack at winning the car, <laughs> it was um, it certainly yeah, certainly tested me mentally, still. but um, yeah, look, I mean, there's the challenges the amount of work um, the amount of carpenters that go into making all these challenges and be able to do them was an absolute treat to be a part there were so many I I loved everyone and and having not played footy not having competed for a fair while to be able to participate and partake in them was was an absolute hope. loved every second of it
0: unreal and what's uh keeping you busy uh, these days obviously sign black academy your own academy that's it's going really well what's happening there
1: yeah I've, I've heard the academy for a few years now and it's a we're an education program mixed in with with a football program and, and personal development workshops um so our education uh, partner is torrens university so our students either do a, a diploma or a bachelor degree whilst whilst completing competing in a, a football program and, and then we do a whole lot of life skills things where it's mm. You know, importance of goal setting. You know, learn to give and receive feedback, and financial budgeting, and you know, a lot of leadership sort of workshops we do as well. So we try to make it a bit of a rounded, rounded approach, and really, I guess, just try to give our, our student athletes some real purpose and direction about what they want to do for the next three to five years. And I, I got asked to put my name to it, deal, about six years ago, and I was coaching at the Lions at the time, and really liked the concept of it, and have really enjoyed just trying to help young people. You, you're probably the same, mate. It doesn't feel that long ago you, you left school, and For me, um, I guess I was fortunate with footy, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do and mentors around that 16, 17 year old age bracket are enormously important and and having this program now, I really feel fortunate to be able to help work with young people and, and help you know, give them a bit of purpose and direction, if nothing else, for what they do in their lives.
0: No, it's unreal, mate. I've been lucky enough been involved with it with Big Mickey Barlow down in Melbourne, who is doing incredible things. Right, but
1: you, you kindly came on one of our one of our scenes. No, it was man. good. You're, I, that,
0: you're giving me some work experience. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. It was it was good. But it's you're so right. I think that period of your life is so difficult if you don't know where you want to go and I really struggled with that to be honest like you know footy probably wasn't going the way I wanted it to go and had no idea what was next because you identify yourself as something and that's what you want to be and you don't know you don't have a plan b of what that is and I I didn't know this saying, and probably until I left it, but it was like I didn't. You don't work out what you want to do; you work out what you don't want to do. Yeah, and I think that's what happened for me. Like I was like, I'm fucking doing real estate, property development, went and did all these sorts of things, and until I was like, well, I actually, just enjoy doing this, and didn't realize it could be a job. But I had to learn all those things in the way. So things like yourself, mate, and those programs are unbelievable and so powerful for young people. So yeah, don't take that for granted. It's it's awesome. Can people get involved still? Like, how does how does one sort of enter the academy?
1: Yeah, we've got a Brisbane and Adelaide program. We've um we've We've, you know like a lot of businesses had a tough period throughout COVID and we're mm. still working our way back through that but yeah we've got a Brisbane and, a, and an Adelaide program for 2023 and it's, it's aimed towards school leverage age bracket being a partnership with the university and um, absolutely our, our website's a bit self-indulgent mate isn't it mm. <laughs> simonblack.com.au so there's
0: information on there so good no we'll definitely have it in the show notes and check it out for sure mate you're doing awesome stuff with that hey let's go back to the start that's probably a good place to, to start sometimes as I said earlier I'm this is a real fanboy episode, so forgive <laughs> forgive anyone out there listening, um, I could get a little bit weird in this, but WA boy?
1: Yeah, yeah. Where'd you grow up? Well, I was born in Queensland, funny really? enough. Born in Mount Isa, but I think I was very young and ended up in Perth. Look, my mum was a WA Perth girl and my dad was a Kiwi, and and dad left New Zealand when he was about 18 and, and moved to Perth and, and met mum, and um, I think I popped down in Mount Isa because they were doing a lap around Australia at the time, and I just happened to that was the moment so yeah so i grew up in grew up in perth and um older, older brother ben who's two years older than me and uh look I, I was you know one of those really fortunate kids and that had a really really great loving supportive family great parents who gave me a of opportunity to you know to just to explore and, and and do things i guess you know i was born in 1979 so you know a late 70s kid and you know the 80s growing up and 90s growing up was pretty free and you know i remember you know, as, a, as a young kid growing up in perth we we grew up in a new subdivision that that sort of you know it was, it was no flash home or anything but we just a space everywhere mm. and we'd ride our bikes and there was creeks and we'd you know set you know BMX trails up and go looking for little yabbies in creeks and there's a train line and we would get up the Mischief down the train line and I actually remember being the age of six this might be a bit of a record deal yeah. but I, I actually got brought home in the back of a paddy wagon and I was six years old for <laughs> there was a couple of older kids in our street and we there was this old this train line and it wasn't um passenger trains it was more sort of cargo <laughs> we, were, we were throwing rocks at trains <laughs> and the police came past and boy you kids come here we yeah, got a little lift home in the back of a paddy wagon at the age of six so um mum wasn't overly impressed with that but well, being uh, a
0: father now as well two boys and a girl you'd think that what would you be doing now if your six-year-old got brought home in a in a back of a paddy van <laughs> <laughs> you can't be a hypocrite really in those you circumstances can you
1: i'd probably have a bit of a giggle first and then try to work out the, the seriousness of the, yeah, age yeah. Of, the, of the situation but nah look it was it was a really great yeah area to grow up in and um, play a lot of different sports. Deal, um, you know, love my basketball like a lot of kids. A little, little, a lot of little athletics, and love soccer. And dad being a Kiwi, I think I played rugby before, I played Aussie rules, and locked heads with my bigger brother a lot of times. And and just you know, from a competitive um, aspect. But yeah, had, had a really fortunate upbringing, and yeah, a great family. I was very lucky.
0: Yeah, I don't know if this is true with the. I didn't actually know you had a heritage of um, of being a Kiwi as well. But did you want to play? And being all black, was that like a, a young thing or was that just an article misquoting?
1: Oh, I would have loved to, but look, look the way I'm built, I'll probably get snapped in half. <laughs> How
0: long did you play league for though? Were you playing quite seriously or was it just growing up around the around the traps?
1: Uh, I was union and yeah. Yeah, just for probably two or three years as as probably 10 to 12 and yeah, right. I think somewhere that maybe a little bit younger and then and then a little bit of school rugby because the school I was at in Perth, I, I played a bit of rugby too. But look, I I, I didn't play sport for about 12 or 18 months when I was 16 and 17 I, I I contracted uh, Schumann's disease in my spine, and it's essentially where a few of your vertebrae don't form properly, don't form square, and it was really painful. And every, every sort of movement that I did at that time, when it first kicked in, I was, I, I was in yeah a lot of pain, and you know I, I didn't know how long it was going to take, and I kept pushing it, and it just sort of kept making it worse. And yeah, it was probably about eighteen months all up, and and I just remember sitting on the sidelines, and I was a big West Coast Eagle mm-hmm. supporter, and I was very lucky. Dad took me to the '94 grand final West Coast obviously played Geelong and, and that really sparked something in me and I, I probably still had another I don't know six months I guess of, not, of being inactive and, and, and from that I, I really wanted to have a crack at making the WA 18 state team and, and I had probably six to twelve months to do that and then I got a sprint coach um, out of WA a guy called Mark Neitz and he was the West Coast Eagle sprint coach and it's it's been amazing over the years the amount of young WA players that, that went have gone through him um, from Ben Cousins being the early one so I think even Paddy Cripps these days, he's he's I think even sort of sees him a little bit these days in the off season, I believe. But just gave me a yard, and in that era, in the late mid to late nineties, I made the WA team and re- did okay at the carnival. And but recruiters were after speed, yeah. um, so much. And I've never that was sort of always my knock. But I reckon the time I spent with Nietzsche just gave me a couple of yards of pace, and that was a real difference, I guess, between probably getting drafted and not getting drafted. And um, I always look back and just think that. That, little, that focus I had on the back of my back issue really drove me to sort of giving it a red red hot crack and and developing a bit of a work ethic on the back of that. Um, probably mixed in with my little athletics days. My, my dad was my middle distance coach and I reckon, you know, you know it's like, remember on the if you get asked to do a 3K time trial, 2K time trial at the footy club. Disgusting. It's the worst. <laughs> it's <laughs> the worst. It's the worst, isn't it? <laughs> it's probably when you're the most nervous, probably more nervous that than running out in anything an AFL yeah game and um yeah so that that, that really helped I reckon just the, the the mental foundation to to work through challenging periods to push yourself and to and to really back yourself I guess ultimately as well
0: it's a funny one isn't it like with the speed factor going into football and I know is it correct in saying you you were like an 800 and 1500 meter state champion or you're pretty good at those events
1: yeah that was my distance you were the
0: distance which you look at that now they're the two events that i'm going i'm sort of faking a hammy for like they are (laughs) the worst two events you could pick like in general just to actually compete in but when you think about the game of footy they're probably the two most important sort of distances that you can run as a midfielder like having that endurance but that lactate endurance is just incredible to be at so it's funny when you look you look at it and you go like, you wanted to get better at sprinting, not knowing that realistically the, the best thing you can be actually good at is that 15 and 800-meter, you know, sprints.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you've got to be competent in our game in so many parts of the mm. game, don't you? And, and, you know, they talk about your strengths and your weapon and what have you, but my, my competent level for my speed probably wasn't there and I, it just got me up to a – a somewhat reasonable level. In fact, I think my first, you know, like a lot of those, a lot of us sort of slower types, challenged challenged challenge by leg speed. Do you know, that that first five or ten. If you've got that, look, you, the great thing about our game. And I remember our great coach Lee Matthews talking about. You can be seven foot and play a game. You can be you can be five foot four foot and play a game. And you can also have great speed. But you can also be fairly slow over forty plus meters. Mm. Um, if but if you can react really quickly, I think you know, if you can react really quickly, if you haven't got blessed with speed, you've got to be clean, you've got to be a great decision maker, you've got to understand the game to be able to know where to get the right times, as you know. And and you've got to make quick decisions with ball in hand. You've got to see things things before others. And that was the part of the game that I, I love the most. So I just love sort of trying to set a teammate up, winning the ball in the Um, congested situation and then just trying to feed a teammate in a bit of space that's what i've got a real kick out of more than probably you know kicking a goal myself so yeah probably going back a bit but that speed work I did early on mixed in with learning the game understanding the game was probably my strength as a player
0: yeah i couldn't agree more i think there's one part as well that i don't want to be missed here for young people listening is like people that maybe don't have speed which is which i found really interesting is i was really lucky like i did have a lot of pace but you know in some ways i actually think that was in a way like not good for me because you rely on it too much and when you don't have pace you look at guys like pendlebury and yourself that the game slows down when you've got the ball because you don't just go off and fucking sprint your first five meters you actually go (laughs) you know what i'm just gonna like take my time and you actually read the game better does that make sense I've really thought about it a lot because it's when I played I, I think I tried to take on the game and use your legs too much whereas you see these guys are a little bit slower and, and maybe they don't have the foot but they think through the game a lot more and they're a lot more sort of slower and methodical with the way they move
1: yeah for sure it, it resonates for sure well not the speed bit yeah. <laughs> but I think you know when you're moving faster I would have thought the um you know things are moving faster around you and the decision making probably needs to be it's more challenging because things are moving faster and um, things appear in front of you quicker as well and and so forth so i guess yeah the sam mitchell the scotty penderbreeze mm. um tom Rockliffe was another one and i think that lateral movement as well is a big one off the lines yeah yeah and if you can if you can rack really quickly off of the rucks hands if you're an inside mid you just need a half a meter a meter on, on an opponent to get your hands free and, and be creative so th- that was something that i that i really focused on that and you know when you get drafted you you get it to your contractor i i didn't Know where I was going to go. I was sort of a bit later in the draft, and West Coast I wanted to go to, but they said, "Look, you lack, you lack a bit of pace, so you're not there if you're not if you're there late in the draft we'll pick up." um So yeah, Brisbane it was. But I guess when I first came to the club, I wanted to be an inside midfielder, but I was 72, 73 kilos when I was drafted, and <laughs> it's probably not real conducive to yeah. be an inside mid. And so I, I grabbed Michael Voss. Vossy was very, very good to me. He, and how old was he at the time when what, you got picked up? He was probably 22, 23. Yep. I think he'd run the Brownlow a couple of years earlier and I just said Vossi can I do some contested ball work him and Craig Lambert were the two and um, Luke Power and I we'd we'd go over and we'd do just these sessions after you know a hot pre-season session for two and a half hours or whatever and we'd we'd work on contested ball and I'd get smashed like I'd get absolute I don't think I've ever won a contested ball train against Vossi He'd, he'd, he'd flog me but I sort of learned to use my my size my frame to the best of its ability and I guess by that, I mean, not to fall over and when his body was coming, I'd sort of adjust and if he got it first, you're there to tackle him and all those little, you know, I guess, idiosyncrasies that you yeah. learn to, to control your body and, and i got no doubt that that ability. I remember my teammates almost, you know, paying me out, saying, good on you, Bucky, go and get belted by Vossi again and <laughs> I'd have a giggle but it was my way of just, I didn't want to be 50 and have regrets that I didn't try hard enough and I really tried to develop a work ethic that gave you belief and confidence that, you know, the old no stone unturned that, Preparation gives you confidence, right? And, and and there's no guarantee on on success, but you know I wanted to make sure that I'd given it everything I got to give myself a crack at a second contract, and and that contested ball work was a real big part of it, along with you know a lot of touch work, and I was always I a bit of a self doubter as well, so that was a a big part to try and work through that to give you give myself that belief.
0: Watching you play, you would never have thought that you know someone Black had self doubt. I want to ask with the the work ethic side of things. A, a lot of the time, you, you don't realise you need to work harder until you probably fuck something up and you you, you realise that You regret. You have that regret. Well, that was my case anyway. How did you install that into yourself at such a young age? Was it people around you, or did you just feel like yourself? You knew this is what I needed to do when you got there.
1: I, I think no doubt the middle distance running, little athletics. That you know, you learn to to suffer doing that sport a little bit. So that that certainly helped. And then, like I said, I didn't want to have regrets at 50 so you know i was up for anything training wise probably overdid a little bit for my first couple of years i remember if i didn't play well i'd I'd go for runs on mondays um, away from the club or you know go run up hills i remember a few times i I didn't play well at night game i'd come home and 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 go for a run um, it was stupid probably when I look back but I, I was just really flat myself and, and what I did early days was I'd compare myself to everyone else and mm. I'd compare myself to Vossi or to Nigel Lapin and in fact it got me in a really bad mental space my second year at the club in 99 I I was studying at university and uh, had moved out of my first year I'd live with an older couple who were great you know I was cooking meal when you get home at nine o'clock and Judy would you know clean my clothes it was was a pretty good introduction to AFL rather than have to cook and clean for yourself you know but the second year was you rarely set in and trying to make a regular spot in the senior team and all these sort of things it was I got a bit overwhelmed and I was improving but I didn't see that improving in myself and I, I really got myself in a bit of a mental state where I really struggled and I wasn't playing particularly great I wanted to be in a a regular player and so forth and I always felt you know just to below everyone else so it wasn't too you know I'd sat down with the club doctor and psychologist and then really paint the picture of mate you your application's really good you're actually making some real gains and you know your, your coaches are actually really impressed the way you're going but I didn't see any of that stuff it was all yeah. just negativity and I had to just reframe it in my mind like just you know I was getting stronger in the gym I was living in a new state um, I was learning to become a man from a little boy, I guess, really. Learn to cook and claim for yourself, get lost in your city and develop a new relationships and, and all those things. And th- that was still going on probably my second year until I really took stock that stop and give yourself a pat on the back. There's some small gains you're making here, but you're just not acknowledging them. So for me, yeah, until I started doing that was when everything just, I guess, really relax and just join the game go out there and just play and enjoy it just you don't have to be the best on the ground just enjoy it and, and that really flowed on from year two for larger the most part of my career
0: it's unbelievable, because I think it's it's funny. We we think in the modern game now that like this mental side of the game, this new thing that no one's ever done before. But to hear that you know, even back when when you were playing and in that such a successful era, you're, you were already sort of utilising club psychologists and stuff at that stage.
1: Yeah, we were. Yeah, we had a had a fantastic one, um, Phil Jointsey, who's been spoken about a fair bit over time. But he's he an old American guy who had his own personality profile, and and it was really kind of simple <laughs> for us what he plays and that, but. The real advantage we'd had, we had all these young players go to the draft camp, the combine, and he personally personally profiled these guys. And, and literally, I remember before games on a Friday night, we'd have the team meeting and, you know, if we're playing Essendon, it was, you know, Mel Michael might be playing on Matty Lloyd or someone. And, you know, this might not be Lordy, but it might be, you know, don't Mel, don't talk to Lordy talk to about lordy to mel and that might you know not that I, i'm sure i wouldn't get lordy but you know what i mean like was yeah. around trying to so
0: you'd be getting into teammates heads
1: getting into or opposition players Opposite, heads. opposition's heads yeah so, yeah trying to trying to take that angle with things it was really um it's really ahead of its time really i would have thought so so phil phil was a massive uh, asset for our footy club to understand each other as teammates and as you well know there's so many different personalities and, and types that make up a footy club and some annoy the shit out of you and, and some will be your best mates and you've got to find a way, <laughs> way to function with them all to get the most out of it. So he was fantastic and, you know, really enjoyed and, and valued his opinion on, on a lot of aspects of his of his um, psychological expertise.
0: And I, I know you mentioned before with your personal experience in in dealing with the club psychologist. If you don't mind me asking, what did you find actually work best for you in that circumstance? I know you said just you, you could relax, but I'm sure there was triggers and things in place that you're putting in to, to actually make yourself acknowledge how far you've come
1: yeah for me he said simon whenever you try to impress someone you suck (laughs) so just be free and back your instincts and for me that was the best advice i I could have received i was the profile mozzie enforcer which is essentially like just you know buzzing around be chitty chatty and you know that enforcer aspect is like just be really strong and just back yourself It, it worked really well for me so just don't try to impress anyone be yourself and back your instincts
0: Wow. So, what give us an example if, you, if you're a member of other teammates? Like, what would a Michael Voss have been like pro player profile? And did you know each other's?
1: Yeah, Vossi was, yeah, we did. Vossi was a thinker and forcer. So, you're either, you generally, I'd probably like, you know, say the disc profile, you're generally a combination of two. So, the, yep. the four aspects were uh, thinker, feeler, mozzie, and forcer. So, a lot of our guys were, um, that thinker enforcer so i think the scott boys i think Lepper might have been a mozzie enforcer fossey was that thinker enforcer nigel Lappin, i think might have been a a thinker feeler maybe and do you
0: remember what the the, i've never this is so fascinating what what were the the actual sort of things mean so like thinker obviously sounds like a deep thinker or yeah
1: yep like as it sounds a a, a deeper thinker you know rather than i guess the opposite of that's more the mozzie Buzzing around, buzzing chitty around. chatty, yeah. come into a room, don't know anyone, you 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 know, you you know everyone pretty quick as an example. And that think of force is one that, you know, I guess they – well not that they say a lot of leaders are thinker enforcers, but you know, there there are, there are, there are a lot. And we had a lot of our group, I guess, that were that way, and probably a lot of enforcers within that era of the Lions. Crazy. It, it played a part, it played a real significant part, um, looking back and just to get like you know, Jason Aki So in some respects, Aki used to you know, he used to drive us mad. Some of the, probably more so around at times, some of the the stuff that got to the media or yeah. what have you. He was working in the media at the time and things. But because we understood him and we under, you know, when you understand someone, you tend to have more patience and tolerance for them. And probably a great example of that was when when Aker mentioned leading into the 2003 Grand Final that Nigel lappin got three broken ribs. <laughs> It's not ideal. <laughs> probably not ideal. And, and you know, he, he, I mean, I think Lynchy wanted to grab him by the throat and, 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 you know, and put one on his chin. But we sort of understood him and we were able to work around it rather than flip out. And, and look, I, I think 80% of our playing list is, was from interstate, generally being a non traditional AFL town. And one of the advantages that we had as a side, and I think we could continue to have, Sydney's probably the same, is that when you, you don't have a lot of family and friends living in the city, you rely on each other a lot and you form really good bonds. There's your, your footy club relationships but, you know, the deeper ones are the times you have away from the club, whether it's travelling or just different experiences and that I think really forms that brotherhood and our club back then I think really, really had that in that era mm. and you can use that as an advantage for, for that group, um, I, I believe, that real tightness in, in, and it really comes out, I feel, in big moments in big games.
0: Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Was there was there a moment or time or was that that chat that you had with with the club site where you're like, all right, I belong now, this is where I want to be? Yeah, it was, was there a standout game or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I had a game against North Melbourne at the MCG my second year and Lee gave me an opportunity uh, in the midfield. I, I had one opportunity that stuck with me against James Hurd in a pre-season game. So the, the pre-season of my second year, I've been there for 12 months, here you go, have a crack at Hurdy out at Waverley and on a what was it, February day and oh I was just like he's a big guy and his running ability I thought I could run okay but he was he just taught me what was required so I was blown, I was taken back by him and knew I had to yeah keep working and get stronger and, and so forth so but yeah Lee gave me a game against uh North Melbourne MCG and and, and I guess that was the game where I, I just felt like I could belong and you know I had a bit of the footy and um was more sort of the I guess the clearance aspect that did. Did quite well, and I think might have kicked maybe a couple of goals, and just thought, oh, I reckon, I reckon, I could maybe get a few more games here. (laughs) That was sort of the real moment. I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'm a chance. You're Um, an
0: extremely humble man, which is it's incredible. So I know how good that must game must have been. If if you're feeling that, do you remember your stats?
1: (laughs) Come on, you (laughs) gotta drop them down for us. (laughs) No, look, I I think I might have it. (laughs) Thirty. yeah, I think I told you, didn't I? A few goals? Couple. No, it was only two. And I, I think I, I might have had a dozen clearances and that was, wow. yeah, it was like, yeah. But in no, your second year as well. Probably no one was playing on I me mean, deal. That was no, why. No, no, I don't know about that. That's
0: <laughs> extremely impressive. So you go from there, two years in, you're probably overcoming a few of those hurdles around your self-belief and, and belonging at the level. In your fourth season, you're playing in your, First grand final,
1: yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing. What was the
0: rise like from there? Sorry, that I keep jumping on questions, but what were you guys when you first got there to then that four year stint? Was it like very linear or were you roundabouts?
1: My first year, we came last, won um, the wooden spoon. John Norley got uh, sacked about oh, maybe not round t- nine or ten perhaps, and Roger Merritt took over. So and then Lee Matthews came in, and he's I remember him, I remember him walking in, and we had so many blokes that had surgery. It was probably October, and he goes. Boys, things are gonna change around here. I've got a three year contract. I'm not sure how many of you blokes will be here after three years, but pretty much things are gonna change. <laughs> and as soon as he came in and laid down the law, things did change real quick. Yeah, it was a new a new era. It was a clean slate for everyone. And he said that I've got no preconceived ideas on anyone, but here we go. And and it was everyone was up for the hard work and, and look, ninety eight, we, we had a we had a pretty good group, I would have thought, but we, we had a lot of injuries. I I got some gains well before I probably should have in my first year, and a lot of us young guys probably did, just because the older guys were so many injuries. But yeah, when Lee came in, we went from last year before to making a prelim final the, the next year, so it was a pretty big jump. And then two thousand, we made a final one A fight, made the finals, won the first week, and kicked out the second week. And yeah, that that fourth year was was the the first two months of that year gets been spoken about a lot over time we couldn't get much going the first two months of the 2001 season had a game against carlton at princess park and we got belted and lee kept us in the change room for a fair while after the game and Lee's whole coaching philosophy was, was really simple and I guess the great teachers they are. Simplicity, have great simplicity with their messaging and his whole mantra was around know your role, accept your role and perform your role and you know, you might know your role but are you, are you willing to accept it? And and after that Carlton game, he went through a lot of individuals in the team and I think ultimately the sort of the watershed moment was, if you like, was he said, look, I... Yeah, so I don't think good folks you can be, but we're just not getting enough guys playing their role. We've got too many opposition players beating individuals purely by just not buying into your role for the side. And until you do that, we're no chance. Um, everyone talks a little bit about you guys are quite capable, but proof's got to be in the pudding. We've got unaccountable midfielders, forwards that are only concerned about kicking a goal and defenders that won't defend first, you know. <laughs> you hear that a few times. <laughs> don't you? Um, so we, uh, from that, I reckon the real shift, it went from Lee down to that, leadership group take an ownership for it and we really started to have some really hard conversations with each other and the, the, the what was accepted previously whether it was you know in the gym or on the training track or at night those things were really sort of driven hard and that was player driven and that was the real shift um for mine and and, and once we got that buying and on top of Lee just saying guys like just do your Roll for the side that's all you've got to do i'll be really clear with what i want from you and we just we, we bought into it and we had that sn game that that came and used the um the predator line if it, if it bleeds you can kill it and they were the reigning champs and they hadn't been beaten much in 12 months and and we managed to beat them and and go on and win 16 games straight and win our first flag it was a, it was obviously a pretty great year and the start of a great era but that ability to just do your bit for the side and we had some great role players like a guy like craig mcrae mm. I, I don't reckon's had that recognition over the years you know he he was one of the first real high pressure small forwards And he was more invested in keeping the ball in your forward 50 rather than getting a kick. And he would buy into that. Sean Hart, um, you go through, we had heaps heaps of fantastic role players in the side. And we really acknowledged the role players in that era within the four walls of the Gabba, irrespective of whether they'll get recognition outside it.
0: Well, it shows now, you know, speaking of a few of those people, like the ability to play a role, like there's no reason why those guys are like AFL coaches now. It was crazy going through a list like earlier. Because I was sort of thinking about it, I was like, geez, there's been a lot of Brisbane players that have, gone on to become coaches. Voss, the Scott brothers, obviously, Lepage, Noble Lappin, uh, Nigel Lappin, sorry, Craig McRae, Luke Power working with the Blues. Like is there anyone else that's in the system at the moment that you played with?
1: Yeah, uh, Blake Carousella. Blake Carousella. You uh, said Lepa. Yeah, there is there is a lot, isn't there? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah.
0: A lot. There's so many players who come through, but it just shows that if that's what, you know, that role-playing ability and, and playing on the big stage, they've got a lot of experience in it.
1: Yeah, and Lee had a lot of great sayings. It was, you know, he I guess he he came through John Kennedy, came through Alan Jeans as a as they were his coaches. Some of the great identities of our game, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And and you know, as time gone by, you realise a lot of the messaging was was really life messaging. The transferable skills between playing playing at a successful footy club and you know an organisation, or individually, get the best out of yourself, and and then just life. Uh, well, wonderful, wonderful, and you know a lot of them sort of stick in your mind one thing I used to say was i guarantee your individual reputation will be enhanced on the back of team success and you think about it like it's it's so true and you know you, you submit yourself to the team the rewards will come and it's not a you're not a sacrifice as an investment and all these it might sound cliche but they're so bloody true you yeah. know and uh, when we bought into that and, and and i reckon as well do you like oh you know i was lucky to play in that three premierships for the club and it was great, but the ones you almost years as well, where you're a young side and your you, you, your capacity is finishing tenth, and and you might get you know tenth, and I reckon those years as well were really rewarding. Like I remember a year in 2009, we, we made the finals, and that was probably our best. We managed to beat, win a final, beat Carlton, and 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 that was unreal because that we didn't think we had much more than that, and. The ultimate success is great, but the great thing about team sport, being on that journey together and everyone buying in, we might know yet not yet we are going to be the best in the competition, for instance. But we're on this journey together, and 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 we're having a red hot crack. We're buying in for each other, we're committed to each other, and and that's the great thing about team sport that I love the most.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, and I I feel like again. Growing up watching the Lions play, and I don't know if this was a, a common theme or something that you did have that inner belief that it actually persuaded the you know the, the rest of the football community watching. But it looked like when the Lions were coming out to play in finals, like they were, they were going to win. Did you feel like that as a group?
1: Yeah, we did. We we really set ourselves for the for the finals campaign. Yeah, look, we I, I think I o1 we played Essen in the grand final. We we had enormous belief because we'd beaten them earlier in the season. Yeah, so that gave us some great stead. Um, we we didn't win a my premiership. Um, and, and that was that was fine, but we knew finishing top four was what it was about. And so yeah, it was it was a, it was a it was a group that looked for continual improvement. Lee drove that within us both individually and as a group. And we had a lot of bunch of really super competitive guys that were willing to sort of force the issue on that improvement aspect all the time. And, and I mentioned earlier about having card conversations with each other. And in a footy, ga- you know, in a game as you know, things need to happen real quick. Yeah. And if you get a bit over the top and you and you get a bit personal, that that follow up conversation is really important. I, I felt we did that really well, and not to damage relationships. And, and and having look having Lee Matthews in your corner in that time gave us really great belief there's no doubt about that and I guess we had a, we had a bit of talent within the group
0: yeah you did bloody oath if there's one person and I was really lucky enough to speak with Vossi recently actually at the AFL I was doing a little chat with him there and it was unbelievable and I asked him this question I said if there's one person you loved walking out next to who was it and and he said you why do you think that was do you, do you, can you answer that question is it is it I know obviously it's a, a hard question to answer but he, he said that
1: <laughs> uh, he probably probably feels bad for flogging me so much <laughs> It's nice. like nineteen year old. look we, we we had a great on field relationship and I just I knew what obviously I was gonna get from Vossi and I lot I would just like to think he knew what he was gonna get from me and I mm. I just used to, you know, I just to try my best. That was that was it and that's what I try to pride myself on knowing that i have a crack if you if you're not overly big i've always been pretty skinny that the most i played at was 82 kilos as an inside midfielder and not overly quick you've got to work hard and you've got to run and you've got to you know i mentioned earlier about reacting quickly and having good game sense and all that but you've got to be willing as a foundation to work hard and that that was sort of that was my thing and and not get ahead of yourself i I didn't mention earlier but my second year my my mum came over from perth and i was very fortunate to have a great supportive loving family growing up and um, i had a bunch of schoolmates come over as well that weekend we were in a car going out for dinner and and i'd been playing senior footy for the lions so I'd sort of tr- to achieve my dream if you like and and we're driving along and i'm not sure what i was what i said or what i, what I did but um i must have been carrying on like a, an arrogant little bugger and <laughs> we got out of the car and we st- I started walking off towards the restaurant with my friends and about 50 meters from the car turn around mum's still there and she's got her head down and i walk back towards her and she's she's crying I said, mum, what's, what's wrong? What's happened? And she she looked up and she goes, Simon, you've changed. You've become an arrogant little little prick, essentially. You know, you, you're not the son that I raised. You've changed. Right. And for me in that that split second, um, after all the support and love, I guess, that I got from mum and dad growing up, that was the best slap across the face that I, I reckon to this day I ever got. And it's always stuck with me about humility and about doesn't matter what yeah, fortunes fortunate to achieve in your life those that help you along the way you can never forget them and that's paramount to to enjoying the journey with them as well not being a
0: not being cocky unbelievable no i appreciate you sharing that it's like uh, i've been in those situations i think any young bloke growing up is is faced with that situation it'd be nearly weird if you didn't get ahead of yourself at some stage but it's a part of being able to catch it before it gets too far is probably the main part and have good people around you that bring you back
1: Spot on, yeah. We all get swagger, don't we? Particularly late like in our teenage you years. you got to. Yeah, you, <laughs> you got, got to it. Yeah. get it swagger. But, yeah, it's that, it's that uh, realising who's helped you along the way and that respect aspect for, for those that um, yeah, love and care for you dearly, I guess. That's yeah.
0: awesome. Performing on the big stage, back to the, the grand final stuff around that, 2001, it obviously the first grand final you played in, but you always played well on on, on grand final day.
1: No, I not I tend to not agree. Yeah. Really? O one, I reckon um, I didn't play great. I reckon Jason Johnson got me for Essendon, and O two was was that was okay. But I just won the Brownlow five days earlier, and it was a really I felt like a weight to carry around. Really, um, okay.
0: So out. what what happened? You know, obviously O two won the Brownlow. Do you reckon that was playing on your mind, or was it just a big week heading into it?
1: Yeah, it was probably just the the attention that you get. I mean, yeah. Living here in Brisbane, you, obviously you escape a lot of it, but just, just in my own mind the expectation that I, I've got to go and be the best player on the ground this weekend because I've got this medal all of a sudden and I just didn't probably interpret it too well and put a lot of pressure on myself. And, and, and what, what what happens with that is it's it's a nervous energy and you can get to the game feeling really flat because you've, you know, the old saying, playing the game over it in your head, but mm. j- just more the, the expectation that I had to be this or I had to be that. And so, look, yeah, it was, it was uh, again, I was probably lucky my I mean, played okay, but certainly didn't set the world on fire and um, my teammates played really well. Tough game.
0: Well, you obviously, we'll we'll definitely come back to that, but you obviously learned a lot the year, what did you change going into the year later in 2003, winning the Norm Smith?
1: I was bigger learned around that time I had a mentor who taught me around just visualisation and really simplifying my game and um, for me.
0: Externally from the club?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: How did you find them?
1: Um, my manager at the time Alex McDonald introduced me to Jim Cumaine is his name and continues to be a great friend and family friend these days and he taught me about I guess, meditation and, and visualisation and as a oh, I guess a 23 24 year old I hadn't really learnt that at that stage and I was always one of those guys that the night before a game I'd really struggle with nerves and self doubt and not sleep real well even after probably six years in the AFL and would slant towards the, what what could go wrong and, and so forth so yeah, for me, I learned about what are the critical few things that I do well when I play well. And I've been lucky to spend some time with the All Blacks, the great New Zealand rugby team, over um, a couple of times over the years. And they talk around that language as well, around what are the critical few things that you do well when you perform well. And knowing those things, they probably make up 80% of your game. And so I would visualise myself doing those those two or three things. And, and I just really felt whether the day of the game, night before the game, it helped me compartmentalise see myself doing something really well and then park it and have a good night's sleep or or whatever you say that was that was really powerful yeah
0: with the visualization stuff I love I love this and I wish that you know it's something that I I definitely do to this day um now but I was only sort of taught it later on in, in my life and the importance of sort of not just visualizing the good stuff it's sort of like visualizing being in situations you don't want to be in and then how you get out of them is that sort of along the lines of what you're doing
1: yeah, that's that's brilliant, isn't it? That's a great part of it for sure. Because it's not
0: just like it's not just a beautiful sunny day yeah. and you're taking ground balls and kicking yeah. goals. It's sort of things might not be working, and then you you know how do you fight through those times?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep, hundred percent. So for mine um, being an inside midfielder it was, you know, if I had a close check an opponent, um, you know, at the, at the point of the ball just about hitting the ruck's hands, I would be really aggressive to try to get the heel of my my palm through his chest and getting that separation. And then moving, just constant movement was my second one around that stoppage area. I might not get it first, but I might be there to lay a tackle or get a handball or And I'm, I'm easy to plan if I'm flat-footed. And the third one was just get out and go, just leave the area. So that were sort of my three things that I could control. If I came in at half-time and I wasn't getting a kick, I'd kind of revisit those in my mind and how I'd assess myself on, on those three things. And 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 generally that, that kind of helped me get back into the game or helped me perform my best from the outset. So... Yeah, that, that really helped him. And, and again, just helping with the nervous energy and, and not burning energy before the game because I visualised those things was really was really helpful. Do
0: you have a favourite grand final?
1: Probably 01 or 03. 01 because first time, complete euphoria was, was amazing, celebrating with your teammates. We'd beat a really good side in Essendon. So that was amazing. And then they're all different. I mean, 02, Collingwood really came hardest some lots of lead changes throughout the game. So that was more probably relief. Yep. And then 03 was 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 fun because we had a big margin early on. So that was unreal.
0: One memory that sticks out the most, and forgive me, I don't know which one I was. It's hard to get mixed up when there's so many of them. But probably like nostalgically my favourite thing in football was the Michael Voss hit with Scott Burns and then, you know, dishing off the handball to you and kicking the goal. What's your memories from that play? <laughs> it was a it was a great piece of play. And what, what year was that one in? It was uh, 02. So it was pretty much a really game-changing moment that sort of pulls you guys back into the into the footy a bit.
1: Yeah, it was a big moment and gets talked about a lot, that hit on Burnsy. I, I, I say to Vossy mate, like, your hit on Alan Richardson was a big hit. You didn't even get hit that hard. <laughs> 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 no, nah, it, was, it was a pretty solid hit. would have put me on my, my butt for a while, I reckon. But Michael Voss, is, his impact in the game and his leadership was be hard to go past, I reckon, just about anyone in the game, that combination. He was uh, such a warrior, such a great talent, and he didn't train much. Because he had bad knees and snapped his ankle, he always had something going on. He stuck a knife into his calf one night trying to create a, um, a, a an ice machine or something. And he's always like, I always say, if he was able to train as much as I was fortunate enough to, then he would be. I'd be talking to him like Lee Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Um, he was a special, special competitor, wasn't he?
0: Is there a moment that in one of those games slows down for you. And it wouldn't be something that, you know, Channel 7 is going to highlight or anyone else is going to highlight, but a moment that you just go, fuck, I remember that. As clear as day, the game sort of stopped and it was just a big pivotal moment in the game.
1: Look, I, I remember the the mark Vossie talking about Vossie again, the mark he took late in the 2002 grand final where the game was literally right in the balance. I think we might have been up by maybe less than a kick, less than the goal, and he takes a big mark out of the wing uh, against scott burns and maybe chris tarrant that that was that was massive oh look my recollection of the grand finals it's just the ball pinging around like it's a pinball and it's so physical and you get it you've got next to no time to do something with it that that's my recollection of grand mm. finals you know i mean oh I, I four i mean we've got to obviously acknowledge that that like port were too good on the day and it probably lives with us a fair bit because we would have been really special to have won the fourth but that kind of actually a little bit because we we got really close we should have could have Port we too good on the day but yeah we probably didn't go in fit and healthy enough i'm sure port probably had some issues too but yeah we were really yeah struggling going in but and then that sort of lives through the bit but right, yeah we're pretty lucky the three years prior Bloody oath.
0: talking about a couple of your teammates quickly and i know it's hard to remember nuances in games but speaking of guys like Voss, we've, we've mentioned before but akamanis um i know uh, you mentioned before how hard that was to maybe sometimes off field but what he brought to the team on game day like I, I know as a supporter watching the energy some, someone like him Nigel Lappin um, so many other guys brought who did you love sort of playing with that you just knew was going to do something special on game day
1: yeah that, I mean Aker's skill level was ridiculous wasn't it his, his left and right foot was was out of this world so, so him um, Nigel is one that, that probably hasn't had the recognition that he deserved over the years he was incredibly tough amazing skills great ball winner on the inside really good overhead very courageous I mean, he went into the 0-3 grand final with three broken ribs and a punctured lung from the, the fitness test the night before the game. They bashed, I think Aaron Shattuck bashed him. <laughs> who who did the fitness test? I think it was Aaron Shattuck. Wow. Yeah, he Lee wanted him to to bash him pretty much to see if he was right because he injected him up, needed to know if it worked, was going to work. and. Um, yeah so he punched it a lung and then he went out there and played the next day yeah amazing amazing but as you know the, the great size that you're, you're lucky to be a part of you, you have a brotherhood with them and you just you just love I remember mm. you know doing the pump-up video under the, the stadium of the MCG in the change rooms and having tears down my eyes I have an absolute love for my teammates you know it was a hollow package for the what the campaign we'd been on for the year pre-game pre-game and and, and Lee, after it, he go he gets to see his boys. He said, "There's no place on the planet you're meant to be other than right here, right now." He said, "You know, you, you're born to be here in this moment. This is why you're born right here, right now." And the ability to, to sort of galvanise that moment and, and and help us believe that belief create on the back of of, of of those sort of comments, um, it was fantastic. Great, great group to be a part of, and yeah, felt so, yeah really privileged to be a part of it all. Unbelievable.
0: You mentioned a fair bit today about some some work that you're doing personally. You as an athlete, you as Simon Black outside the club. So – early days where they were seeing a psychologist or doing some visualisation what else did you find or what else did you explore avenues that worked or didn't work to make yourself be the best player you could possibly be
1: yeah look that meditation goal setting I was always big on on goal setting I guess and writing it down because it becomes something real I just love getting away from footy I mean I I think playing footy my footy in Queensland helped a lot. not being in the bubble of Victoria or or WA and going down the Gold Coast surfing or or just getting away that's been massive and just reflecting on, on my performance every week I was pretty big on, just being able to take that time to, to see how it went and, 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 and try to learn from each game was, was something I, I spent a fair bit of time on and just trying to enjoy the journey. As you know, it becomes pretty robotic if you're not careful. We're lucky and fortunate, are we, to do what we, we did, but it can become pretty arduous if you're not – if well, if you're injured, if you're not performing at the level you like, if your team's obviously struggling, if you've got issues away from the footy club. You know, it's 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 not all – we were saying it earlier, weren't we? It's not all – It's cracked up the beat at times. It has its real challenges and I was lucky to play in three three premierships out of 16 years and the other 13 there were some real challenges in them and even the years that we won it you know so just the, the resolve what i loved about the sport was just the the resolve and the mental resilience that you need love the physical shape that you're in mm. when you're up and about and being part of a team and that connection with your teammates and all that genuine buy-in you know like you're going to go back with a fly of the ball with your f- 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 you know knowing there's a pack coming the other way and you do it because you don't want to let your mates down mm. and you know you're gonna get physically hurt but all that side of the game i just i just love being a part of that group something bigger than yourself yeah it was, was bloody awesome
0: i love what you mean said there as well about just everything you go through builds you to be the person you are like the adversity the success the failures the hard times you, you can actually go back recollect that and it hardens you uh, i think now you know looking back at all these things after me like the adversity that everyone goes through it just it's another bit of that armor that you have to recall from time and time goes on and that's what i love about footy as well no matter if it's a great career However you look at it, it is what you make it, and you can just take so much from any situation. Whether it's a chat with Lee Matthews versus a chat with your boss outside of work, you can take and withdraw all those things from experience, which is which I've loved the most from from my experience anyway.
1: Yeah, so true, and and it's a short career. If you're lucky, you play; to you're real lucky, you're mid thirties, and mm. and you've got another you know a whole life ahead of you, isn't it? And so all those attributes that you learn, exactly what you're saying, is is what makes it say so, so special. Yeah. And I think that's probably our our biggest leg up as elite athletes and team sport athletes is those things that you learn about obviously yourself through having to develop a work ethic and resilience through hard times but it's bigger than yourself you know you're part of something bigger yourself and and dragging others along with you is what makes it so cool and those life lessons if you like those attributes is it really should help as a foundation for whatever you do thereafter.
0: Speaking about building resolve and, and being the player you were, there was going to be some times where players would come to you, most weeks. Very topical question, bit of a nuance, but who were some of your hardest opponents you had throughout your time you hated, hated, <laughs> you loved, hated battle with them?
1: <laughs> well, Cameron Ling was one because his big Lingy was about 12, 15 kilos heavier than me and he could run. And he'd, he'd play you from behind. Even him, him, Kane Corns was, was a ripper as well, obviously. He was very good. Not as big, but he could run. I mean, he just ran from Adelaide to Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to freak. I think he just did the New York Marathon. But, yeah, those guys would play you from behind. Whereas, like Brett Kirk, he was super hard. So I mean, they were all bloody hard. Yeah. <laughs> I found them all out. But, yeah, those three were probably the ones I played on the most. And they were just super competitors and super disciplined and so I had to really hone my craft to to get a kick playing on those guys and a lot of times I didn't and get so frustrated and that's when I'd beat myself up I'd chill myself and I'd I'd get really down on myself if I didn't play well and those probably three were the ones that taught me a lot about myself through battling through struggling through yeah and so those Three things I mentioned earlier about my critical few things around a stoppage mm. or in my game. I, I learned those probably through playing with those sort of guys and getting my timing right of my movement. You know, you, you've got to get on the move as that inside midfielder and, um, and her really quickly. And yeah, so that's so those three. I mean, Lingy, Lingy, he would try and take me forward. He was a full forward as a junior. And I, I was, I was terrified. i forward on Big Lingy. <laughs> e. <laughs> I'd say, actually, in the end, I'd say, Brad Scott, Scotty, you come down here. I'm going yeah. back up midfield. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. But uh, Yeah, he was, a, he was a beauty. You know, that that you play on those guys. I mean, they try and get a kick the other way as well. But I used to love playing on your your genuine ball winners as well, like your Daniel Kerr. Like head to head. Kerr and I, head to head. I used to love playing on He was a He was a jet. Didn't play on Cuzzy or, or Juddy too much, but it seemed to get Kerr in. That, that difference between a tagger and a genuine ball winner. Certainly much prefer a general ball winner. <laughs>
0: 100%. Most admired players that you've you've played against, so Curry obviously being one of them there, we mentioned him, but was there any guys that you played up against just head to head that you are like, fuck, I love the way this guy goes?
1: Yeah, look, but Ben Cousins and I played at the same junior footy club. He, he played up a year in so Cuzzy's a year older than me. Yeah. I've got a brother two old two years yep. older, Ben, and he played up in my brother's Ben's team and he was really good to me as a as a as a 14, 15 year old. We'd go and kick the foot in the park and when I got drafted, he and Brian, his dad came around home and yeah, it was so I always admired Cozzy. Yeah. He was someone I just really respected and the way he went about it on the field, the way he worked so incredibly hard. Gary Applet Jr. is probably he's probably over what he's done over the journey, probably the best. I've seen, I mean, I I saw Wayne Carey late in my career Mm. and obviously as a kid, but in terms of midfielders, like they're almost different, midfielders and centre-half forwards, so it's completely different sort of types, aren't they? But, you know, your ability like a Michael Voss or Dusty or Gary Ablett to to play midfield, dominate and go forward, yeah, Gary Ablett was, he was freakish. And what what he did at the Gold Coast without much help around, he was special.
0: Yeah, I think he was averaging like 44 possessions a game with a team that was finishing last and ladder. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely, It'd be scary to think what Geelong would have done if he had have stayed there the whole time. Wouldn't it? Absolutely nuts. Moving down to, to later in your career, you obviously were taking up leadership positions at the club. How did you find that? How did you enjoy being a leader? I know that that was something prevalent throughout the whole time, but officially being
1: part of the leadership group. And and was it a captaincy of over four players? <laughs> yeah. That's very strange. It's a bunch of it. Yeah, that was strange. Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I really enjoyed that leadership part of – and, and growing as a leader, developing, understanding yeah. it. And so the premiership era, I was pretty young, and the core group of that group was a, a lot of guys, you know, Lappins, Keatings, Ackermanis, Voss, Scott Boys, you go through a McRae, there's a lot of them, White. They came through with Robert Walls, and Wallsy was an outstanding developer um, of, of that group. Robert Walls got a lot, should be paid a lot of credit for our success based on what he put into those young guys over a few years. They retired. A lot of them retired after our premiership days and there was a few of us left. You know, there was obviously Brownie, there was Lukey Power, um, there was Jamie Charman. So the footy club becomes yours in your mid-20s, I I believe, and stepping up and taking the ownership for the club there, I, I really enjoyed. I never really thought about going back to WA to play or or moving into state. History says we never we're never able to climb the ladder again. And as a club we made I reckon we made some real blues with some shot ourselves in the foot as a club over probably twelve years. But I really enjoyed getting the young guys in and, and just really trying to help develop them, whether it's their football craft or mm. their probably equally as much, just away from the club and life in general and really enjoyed that. Again, frustrated in that we weren't able to play a lot of finals footy after two thousand four. Yeah. But yeah, enjoyed the that part of the leadership
0: how hard was going from playing with Vossi to then him becoming coach and then not having the success at that time was it a was it a challenging period
1: look we we saw the game pretty similar but there were moments there where you where you naturally get frustrated with your coach you know I was back into my career and you know I I, I, again I saw the game pretty similar to him but there's moments where you are you have really frustrated or you disagree or uh, what have you but you know yeah we, we had a really great Working relationship when we we're playing together, and, and as a general rule, as a as a player coach as well, it took a little bit. The big thing in that year, I guess, is what we did. We we went out, we won a final in two thousand nine. Um, we had this um, good little group coming through, and you know, just the organic grow- growth, and yeah. and we had that, and then we went and got Brendan Favola, and we got Fav, and we got six six or so other. Bradshaw left. Yeah, Brady left, and you know, great great culture, great club yeah. man, braddy Yeah. And we've got six other guys as well, and they're all good guys, like really, really good guys. But it's probably changed the shift, the dynamic of the, of the group a little bit. And mm. I'm not sure how much it sort of elevated us as a playing group. And you lose draft picks, probably a really good lesson in terms of list management. We probably weren't close enough to... Sort of like
0: going for a flag but not ready for it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. I don't think we were anywhere near it. And we had a lash. And I guess Lossie and Gubby in the club at the time, they probably thought Brownies, how much so longer is Brownie got? And myself and Luke and things to have a go at it. But um, yeah, history said that we're a long way off. And it was, you know, you, you set yourself back.
0: Yeah, you do. It's a challenge. It's a tough time because I, I know now you look at a lot of teams. And, and something that I'm really interested in now is like that list management side of football. Not that I want to be involved in it, but it's more like just looking from afar. I love seeing how you know we play one of these games where it's nearly the most even game in the world we have salary caps we have draft we have all these things so there's even soft caps on spending on budget like it's quite even we can't really even it up any more than it already is and then you look at clubs like um brisbane now of what they've been able to do recently like from where they came from probably when we're talking about that period to where they are now with getting a destination club richmond um the same thing 10 years ago to where they are now and, and Geelong who have just been doing it for, for years on end. You look at that and you think, fuck, there's actually something else going at work here, how well they're managing their money, keeping players, bringing players in. I just love seeing how they can do it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's it's that top down, isn't it, once you mm-hmm. get that administration side of things in, in place and some really great leaders in in their roles, the right roles, obviously with a great coach and mm. support staff, things can start to, to turn. And, you know, Brisbane, you know, the first couple of years of Fags's reign, it was they didn't win much. You go on that journey from being non-competitive really to, I guess, competitive to then becoming a good side and then a, a really good side. But, you know, there's, there's, a, there's also a big gap between being really good to the best in the competition. You know, you if you're a top four side, there's that, you know, a big gap can be from... We saw Geelong at the end of the day this year had a good day, weren't they? And I think the lessons for us and for should be for a lot of clubs and teams probably really, it's just you, you can't underestimate the organic growth that you yeah. go a, as a group through to get mm. there. You know, they'll buy in a premiership, buy a success. You know, like it's probably doesn't happen as much as as one would think.
0: Towards the end of your career, you transitioned into coaching. How did you find that?
1: Yeah, it was interesting times. Like it was a pretty tough, uh, you know, three years at the lines. We, we were pretty young. Um, Lepper was a... Justin Lepich was the coach. Yep. Um, for a few injuries. It was it was a great look. It was a great insight into a, a challenging club at the time. Um, we had some some issues and a bit of unrest within the playing group, and it was it wasn't it wasn't easy. Um, and a lot of the playing group really struggled throughout that time. And I think as a, as a club, they probably learnt a lot of things in terms of, you know, from an administration point of view all the way down and it was disappointing. It's, it's probably, you know, that whole time. You want to go forward in life, right? You want to go forward as a group mm. and um, we probably went went backwards. And But from a personal perspective, I, I look, I really enjoyed it. I, I came out of playing and the soft entry, I guess, exit from the game is the coach and that the club I played at. So it was, you know, it's... In some respects, it was quite a soft exit from the game. But look, you, you know, I, I got a bit frustrated because things weren't moving in the direction they, you know, I thought they could and they should and, and, and it's taken a long time to, to get back.
0: Do you still obviously with your academy now and, and things going on? Would you ever want to get back involved in in football at the highest level?
1: Oh, mate, I mean, I, I, I'm really interested and passionate about coaching, but I'm yeah. pretty busy, with, you know, the academy I, and I things know, and that yeah. and young family and look, you, you do you, selfishly, selfishly you do give up a lot when you've got a young family to coach. You know, there's a long, lot of hours and and things, but maybe maybe in time, um, mm. you know, I do really enjoy working with the, with that school post school age bracket as well. So I'm kind of doing that with with my program already but um yeah you, know, you never say never deal it's
0: exciting what's uh what's your goals what's next for for someone black
1: look i'm still busy yeah with academy program um i've done a bit of work this year in that sort of mental health well-being space with with a company called the well-being co which i've enjoyed um that's around they do programs about whether it's getting people off the couch back into the workforce or a whole lot of life skills yeah, things awesome. so that um i've got the young family three young kids who certainly keep me keep me busy these days two boys and a daughter and I look I help out with the Lions Women's program just part time and, and just do a little bit of, bit of radio up here for the local Lions and Sons home game so I've got a yeah a couple of different things that – Invested in a labour hire business um, a few years ago, and um, don't do a whole lot sort of day to day with that these days. But yeah, I've, I've got enough on my plate, and um, and just yeah, really good spite, still living in Brisbane and enjoy life up here. So mate, and not surfing enough. I need to get back in the water more. Bloody <laughs> hell.
0: When you're saying just on that mental health stuff you're doing at the moment, what are you doing with with them? Like, what, where's the passion come from with that? Is it from just helping out young people and and getting back into personal, purposeful lives like what's what's your main gig with that
1: yeah look I, I met um, someone within the, the business and it's, it's around it's around life skills um, mm. and it's some you know whether it's like I said getting people off the couch getting back into the workforce whether it's under 35s or over 35s or there's a disability program they do or I guess I really like that like that space and it's probably aligned to a little bit to the academy program and that you're trying to help give a bit of purpose and direction and, and just get the wheels in motion in mm. people's lives with whatever it is that they're doing um, or, or work out what is, as you said earlier, maybe it's work out what you don't like and, and just trying to find something that gives you enjoyment and passion in your life and, and and get after it so yeah they uh that's what i've been doing a little bit this year and really enjoyed it
0: unbelievable mate i uh, honestly cannot thank you enough for, for coming in today i've really really enjoyed our, our chat and, and having you in so i can't uh, i can't believe it finally ticked it off been a bucket list for me this episode and um <laughs> I, I hope you out. enjoyed it mate so <laughs> it's uh it's been awesome but um yeah really can't thank you enough for, for coming in
1: oh thanks Bill. thanks for having me love the chat
0: Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest or advertise with one of our podcasts then email hello at Thanks for tuning in. Ilixx.